Let's turn with you now to our sermon text in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are simple words, words which we have heard a long time. Most among us would have memorized, and Lord, we recognize our often failure to grasp the true import of them, our failure to obey them, many ways in which we have not honored our father and our mother, and Lord, the ways in which we have not honored those who have been set in authority over us. Lord, we recognize that we live in a day in which these things are trampled upon, and we may be, Lord, little different. Well, Lord, we pray that you would open the floodgates of heaven of your word and your spirit, and that they would come raining down upon us, these things, and we'd receive them in their fullness and obey them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tonight we come to this fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Now, I try, I don't always do the best job, but I try to make sure that the sermons have something to for the children, the children are able to follow the sermons to some extent. I've been trying to simplify my outline and all the rest of those things so that you children can follow along. But if there's ever time for you to pay attention to a sermon, it is certainly this one, because this one has everything to do with you. And it's not just for you, we're going to see. It is not just for children. Every one of the commandments has relevance and importance for everyone at all points, in all times and seasons, but particularly for children. Because unlike when you're older, you don't have to now agonize, what is God's will for me? You don't have to spend months and months thinking about it and praying about it and seeking counsel from various people and so forth. You can know for certain, you can go to, you can hour by hour, minute by minute, and you can go to sleep tonight knowing that you are doing God's will very easily. How? Simply by knowing whether you are obeying your parents. The question is very simple. Are you right this minute doing what your father and your mother want you to be doing? And if so, you're in the will of God. Isn't that wonderful? So easy and simple. And therefore, you should relish this time and not seek to move beyond it too quickly. Because life does get a bit more complicated later on, but we'll speak of that as well. So if you're being obedient, you're going to enjoy the blessing of God that goes along with it. If you're not, you're disobedient. And you should be disciplined by your, children, by your, your parents. And you'll experience to some extent the, the curse that God says goes along with disobedience. And let me say as well that these things extend not only in the moment-by-moment obedience or disobedience... Uh, and the curse or blessing that comes along with it. But really, your attitude and your approach to what your parents have to say extends spiritually as well. Because when your father then comes, if your father has told you to listen to the sermon and, I don't know, write down the points or something like that, and you're unwilling to do that, then when your father says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, why do you think you're going to obey him then? Actually, the same mouth by which you receive the ordinary commandments of the day, pick that up or 
do your homework or something like that. It's the same mouth by which you receive the gospel by which you'll live or die. And therefore, life or death is, in in fact, connected in that way to this commandment. It's very important for you. Now, we've been trying to relate the individual commandments to the larger picture of the law as a whole and to the two tables of the law, right? And the question is, to which table does this one belong? Well, I won't really make a big deal about it. Um, It's normally put into the second table because it has to do with with man, right? It has to do with our relationships with our fellow human beings. So in that sense, then it's, it's part of that second table of the law. But we have to remember that our parents are in, in loco dei. Maybe some of you teachers know about in, in loci parentis. And the idea is that teachers have the place of the parents and therefore have that authority or should in the school. Well, you see, parents, then if that's if teachers have the place of parents, parents have the place of God in the life of the child. And therefore, that authority is delegated to them. So in that way, it's really a bridge between the two tables of the law. Yes, it has to do with the relationship with man, and not just parents, but all who have authority over us. But in that way, because all authority is ultimately from God, it really has to do with our, the way that we honor God in these things. And so if you, you think about it, the table is God's being, God's worship, God's name, God's day, and God's representatives, God's proxies. And that's how we we understand that first table of the law, or the bridge at the end of it. So it's a bridge between the first and the second tables of the law. Now, just going through that list reminds us that any law has to do with authority. Any law does. It, It assumes that someone has the authority to tell us what to do. And this commandment in particular has everything to do with the authority of God. Now, we live in an anti-authority, egalitarian age. It is notable for that. And it's very, very countercultural to be speaking about submission to right authority. We never hear that in the culture, really. They say other things, and in reality, there are... There, uh, there are many. There's, society doesn't stop having authority over its people. It's just exercised in a different, a different way. Um, but this is countercultural. And my prayer is that we listen to the voice of the good shepherd speaking in this his word, rather than the voice of the enemy speaking to the world, telling us that we don't need to obey those who are rightly in authority over us, which is an old trick of Satan, as you know. So this is the fifth commandment. That's the easy, easy uh, title of it, the fifth commandment. And these three points, honor your father and your mother, submit to rightful authority that your days may be long. Honor your father and your mother, submit to rightful authority that your days may be long. So the first point, honor your father and your mother. That's what it says in that first part of verse 12. But the question is, what does honor mean? I think the easiest way to do this, again, okay, I look back at the sermons in Exodus and think how could I've, or in Deuteronomy, and I think how could I have done them better? And I think the easiest way to show you what honor means, that word, is just to tell you what Hebrew word it is. It's the word kavod. And some of you may know that that means glory. When we come across the word glory in the Old Testament, most of times it's that word kavod. And so when Moses says in Exodus 33:18, "Please show me your glory." 
That's this, the noun form of this very same word. All right? So are we, are we in any way suggesting that what we're doing with regard to our parents is, is equivalent to the way that we deal with God? Absolutely. And verbally, it is identical. The command is, in that sense, to glorify your father and your mother. Now, that helps us with two things. It helps us to see how that first question of the catechism is actually grounded in God's moral law. What is the first question of the catechism? You, you know what it is, right? That we should glorify and enjoy God forever. That's, that's our duty. That's the thing that we should be doing with our life. What is our purpose in life? Some people ask. Well, it's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And if we are to glorify our parents who are in the place of God, then obviously we are even more so to glorify God. So by implication, we have that written right there in the Ten Commandments. And therefore, that question of the catechism is is very appropriate and a right summary of our duties to God. And it also gives us an idea of what's involved here. Because you ask the question, how does one glorify God? Well, we're actually familiar with that broad, huge concept. How do we glorify God? We, have, we understand what happens in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You can even eat and drink. Every activity you do in your vocation, every act, not just what happens in worship. Now, supremely, God has set aside a day in which we might worship him. And we certainly bring glory to him on this day. But in all the things we do, we should self-consciously seek to bring honor and glory to his name. As we represent him, as we carry out his commands in this world, we bring glory and honor to him. It's beyond simple obedience, way beyond that, so that our every waking thought and intent is to bring honor and glory to our maker and our redeemer. My friends... That's the idea of honoring your father and your, your mother. Obviously, subordinate to honoring and glorifying our God, but the idea is, is goes well, well beyond mere obedience. To seeking to, to, to bring them honor in all sorts of ways and in every way that we represent them as, our children, as, as their children, that we seek to bring honor. We, when we know that even the most obscure and lowly parent is greatly honored and glorified, right, by the, by the outcome of their parents. Let's say you're a middle-class parent bringing up a, a couple of daughters, and, and one of them marries a future king. Well, your, your daughter has brought you a whole lot of honor and glory in, in doing that. Now, there are many other ways of doing it, and I think Christians have an even greater opportunity, a vastly greater opportunity, in their being the eternal bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me say that the idea applies. The idea is that you can absolutely bring honor and glory to your parents in your own conduct. Now, I say it's more than obedience, but it's certainly not less than that. The baseline is certainly obedience to all commands. And whatever service is required... Of, of, uh, of us as children, we should certainly do so. Malachi 1.6, six: a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then am, other, am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? You see, the Lord himself is making a comparison. He's saying, look, ordinary sons 
do what, follow through with what their father has told them and, and indicated that this is his will. This is what he wants to see happen. And you're not even doing that much to me. So, of course, it involves fulfilling our obligations of, 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 of obeying the commandments. And let me just take a moment to say, does it, that extend beyond uh, reaching adulthood? And I would say, of course it does. Because the, the father-son, mother-daughter, parent-child relationship is for life. Of course it is. And the supreme example that we have is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ in relationship to his father. And did he say when he turned 18 that I used to, it was my great desire to do your will, O Lord, until I turned 18? Hardly. Hardly. And you, you would look in vain to find any suggestion throughout all of Scripture that such an age limit or termination exists. Rather, it is on the part of the parent to modulate that relationship and to make commands and wishes that are appropriate for an adult relationship. They're probably going to be less in number. But it is not to the child to decide whether they're going to, to do that or not. The relationship remains the same. God, the Son, delights to do the will of his heavenly Father as the God-man. Well, beyond that, it is, beyond this obedience, I say it's, it's certainly that. It's, got, it, it's not less than that, but it's beyond that. It's an act of seeking uh, that they would have honor. A scriptural example, we have Esther chapter 6. It's, it's great. Uh, you, you remember the story? It's wonderful irony. Um, Haman comes in, this wicked man who's trying to destroy the Jews, and he hates in particular. He hates... Uh, uh, um, uh, the come on now, help me out. Mordecai, he ha- he hates Mordecai. He's it's not even in this this passage. Haman comes in, and the king asks him, "What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor?" Hmm. Now Haman thinks in his heart, "Who whom would the king delight to honor more than me?" Now that's a good question. Now here's do unto others as you'd have them do to you. So this golden rule applies. Now you think, all right, I don't really know what it means to honor my father or my mother, and then you say, okay, what if the shoe's on the other foot and, it, and somebody wanted to honor you? What would you have done to you in that way? All right, now the creative juices are flowing, and Haman thinks, aha, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn and a horse on which the king has ridden, at which a royal crest has been placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor, then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Well, he figured out a way to honor himself, and how dreadful it was when it turns out to be Mordecai, the one whom the king delighted to honor. Well, we may not do this exactly, but that's the sort of idea, the sort of things that you might do for someone you wish to honor. And that's the idea behind honoring your father and your mother. Again, let's give a little counter example. What would you do for someone that you wish to dishonor? Well, you wouldn't pay them much attention at all, actually. You would, if you, they came into your presence or, your, or into the room, you wouldn't even acknowledge that they exist. 
if they indicated that now was a time to do something or, or whatnot, you would you would carry on doing your nails or looking at your phone or something like that. You're dishonoring them by not acknowledging them. It's the opposite of what Haman is doing. He's saying, spring them to the city square wearing the, the, the most amazing outfit on this amazing horse uh, chariot and, and so that all the world can see how exalted and, and meanwhile, I'm going to, there's some, some exalted prince is going to be leading him through the way. The opposite of that is to ignore and to disobey and rather than to demonstrate to the world around how highly you value them is to, in various ways, demonstrate how little you care about them. Well, you should actively seek that they would have honor. And let me also say you should love them. All right? that, the, the, here's the layers. Basic obedience. Doing the kind of thing that Haman wanted done for him in terms of honoring and bringing right attention to. And then supremely, of course, you love them. Now, love, loving is not contrary to or a substitute for obedience. Obedience is a facet of and included of, of loving. But we don't forget that at the end of that is love. Because every parent, of all the things that they would desire, yes, they want you to honor them. They want to be loved by you. And you should love your parents. It's been mentioned in many other occasions. Love and obedience, not at odds at all. John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, keep my commandments. He doesn't think that there's any difference between these things. And if we in our hearts say, you know, I, I don't have much inclination to, to do what they say or to abide by their wishes at all, and, and really uh, I don't speak of them well and I, I don't go out of my way to show people that I honor them at all, but I really, really love them. Well, you can think that. The world doesn't think that way. They're not receiving what you say in that way, and your parents aren't either in all likelihood. There's no difference. If you love me, keep my commandments, John 14 says. And it goes on, by the way, uh, in 14, this is John 14, 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father. Again, this is something that's public. This is something that goes beyond the home. And here, of course... The Lord Jesus Christ, supremely, that the world may know that I love the Father. Doesn't the Father know that? Yes, he does. But it's part of his honor in various ways to demonstrate that to the whole world, that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. So if you're a child, the essence of your love is to obey your parents. It's not disconnected at all. And finally... And I'm not going to put that exactly on this, this, you know, that this is more supreme or I don't know exactly where this goes on the latter, but to support them in their old age. And I, I think that there is a kind of transition. It's never that we're ever uh, exempted from the need to obey our parents. And it's never that we're exempted from a need to materially support, but there is kind of transitions that, that go that as a little child, there's not much they can do to materially support their parents. And most of what they're doing is in, in the form of obedience. But over time, that changes. And then you need to support them in their old age. That's the point of, of course, reading from Matthew 15. There's this bizarre situation, and these wonderful Pharisees, they're so novel, they're so 
uh, intellectual, and they've cleverly come up with a way of subverting the law of God. And by saying, okay, so we need to make sure to take care of our parents. But what if I take that money that I was going to take care of of mom and put a lavish gift in the treasury with my name on it, a big plaque, and so all my Pharisee friends would see how much I've given to that, wouldn't that count? And they'd say, yes, absolutely, that is good to go. You just do that, and you don't have to worry about mom. She can rot. Hmm. Do you think the Lord's actually pleased by that? Do you think he actually is receiving that as obedience? Not at all. God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. And he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. This tradition of man that we reject. Well, such is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and I hope that we understand that uh, it does not matter what the state does or does not do. Okay, They can decide to offer a bunch of support for, for care homes or for care in the home, or they can do nothing at all. It doesn't matter. Our responsibilities are to take care of our parents in their old age. Well, secondly, I say the first is to honor your father and your, your mother, Secondly, we have to understand that the principle extends beyond that to submitting to all rightful authority, right? That is the idea. Where in the, the law would it say that, that we should obey our boss? Where is it in the law that has anything to do that we should submit to the king or, or queen? Well, the answer is, is here. It's the principle that is implicit in this commandment. So the larger catechism, 124, of course, we're going to speak of the catechism's uh, injunction soon, but what are meant by who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? The answer is by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only parents, but all superiors in age, gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family or church or state or in the workplace. Okay, so all authorities of God, we know that's the case. And the idea and the principle that we should submit to the right authority that God has put over us extends in every sphere. Certainly, let's take the church. First Peter 5.1, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, and likewise you younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now let me just take a moment here and, and give you an application at this point, in particular as we consider um, the, the year to come. Um, how thankful we are that there are, there are two elders here rather than, than one, and though I might be away for a while, Jonathan remains. But let me just take a moment to commend you for something. As we were discussing on our way to the, um, the meeting of, of Presbytery for the ordination of Chris Statter, we were all considering various pastoral issues that were before us, and it was observed by someone else, uh, a minister of another church, that it seems to me that Gateshead has less problems dealing with people not willing to submit to rightful authority. And I, had to, I, thought, I, I, I kind of thought about it, and I said, you are correct. That's right. We don't have many issues along those lines, and long may it continue. 
And so, uh, isn't it interesting that even people in other places, in various ways, have figured out that the Lord has been good to us in that way, and how we pray in particular as, as that may be tested in the year to come, that we seek all the more to humbly submit to those whom God has placed in authority over us. Church, state, Romans 13.1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Wow. So he surely must be talking about a Western democracy with a Christian king. No, not really. No, of course, this is a pagan Roman emperor. And, and in all likelihood, one of the worst persecutors of, of God's people. And certainly would soon enough be, as these words were uh, written in the years to come. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. No authority except from God. And they're appointed by God. So Nero was appointed by God? That's what the word of God says. Even the worst, most wicked, pagan, king, emperor, queen, president, they are put in their places by God. And therefore... We don't look to them in their person. We look to them in the authority that they've been given by God, and we submit. Now, if they tell us to do something that is contrary to, well, guess what? Paul, who wrote this, also ends up getting uh, getting killed for the word of God, getting martyred because he could not submit in some ways. He could not curse Christ, and he could not say that, that Caesar is Lord as opposed to Jesus Christ. He couldn't do those things, so he's going to end up getting martyred. But in every other way that it's possible to do so, we should obey them, we should honor them. As they're appointed by God. And whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Now, do you think that that applies to the other spheres? Absolutely it does. The word of God says it because it's so hard for us to believe that. It's a little bit easier to believe that our parents have been appointed by God, and therefore we understand whoever resists their authority resists the ordinance of God. It might be a little bit easier for us to understand that elders are appointed by God, But even in what we would consider the worst case scenario in which not only do they not seem to have our best interests at heart, they, they actively persecute Christians. The Lord says we should submit to them nonetheless. Bosses, of course. 1 Peter 2.18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. Very true. We should, uh, it's not easy to do so, and in our, our world it's very hard. And of course, in the household, they're not only children. We've, we've mentioned that specific instance of children obeying their parents, but also wives obeying their husbands. Now, I would, we would hope, wouldn't we, that if we can manage to submit in, in heart and mind and, and deed and all the rest of it to a pagan emperor, that we might be able also to submit to one that we love and that we have, uh, we have chosen as, as husband. And when you choose a husband, of course, you choose a, a leader of your household. When someone proposes marriage to you, young ladies, you understand that someone is proposing to be your leader for life. And therefore, that's why you think about it very carefully. 
But having done so, of course, in ways that are not contrary to the word of God, ways not contrary to your own preservation of life, but in other things, you, you submit. Now, the immediate thing that every one of you is thinking who is a member of this church in submission to the elders, everyone who is a wife in submission to a husband, every child who is in submission to a parent, and certainly every citizen and every subject in submission to her majesty and her government, you think, well, what if they're not very wise? What if they do foolish things? Surely I have a way out then, then surely God would not want me to have to pay for their foolishness in making dumb decisions. You guys can start working and flip through the scripture until you find the place where you have an out, where it says you have an exception to ignore the authority of the one set above you if they make a dumb decision. It ain't there. Okay? The essence of God's plan for us is that we honor and glorify Him by receiving in obedience those who have authority over us even when we do not like it and particularly when we don't like it, particularly when we don't concur with it. What sort of obedience is it anyways if we already were going to do it on our own? I sometimes very jokingly um, have said to my, my children, let's imagine when they're younger and they're all eating uh, ice cream, and I say, oh, you obedient children, you're honoring your father and your mother by, by eating the ice cream that we've commanded you to eat. And we, we say, no one's impressed by that particular kind of obedience, even though it is obedience. It's seen when things are more challenging than that. And so it is in every sphere that I've mentioned in the home, in the church, in the state, in the workplace, all of these things. It's seen when we don't like it. And that's when we glorify God the most. But you know, that's not the end of it. We honor our father and our mother so that we honor the God who put them there. We honor those who are in authority over us so that we honor the God who put them in authority over us. But there's a promise to this commandment. And that's our third point, that your days may be long in the land. It's, it's an amazing thing. This is the first, the, the scripture says this is the first commandment with promise. There is a particular blessing that is associated with these things. Some of the commandments in the first table, we said, were predicated on the, the curse that's going to come upon you. The fact that our Lord is, is a jealous God and he's not going to hold them guiltless. Who dishonors his name or dishonors his day. But here there's a promise that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. That your days may be long. Now the very simple, lowest level, what does that mean? It's it's just this. That on the whole, foolish, disobedient children will live hard and relatively brief lives. Alright? That's like the extreme. If If you are that rebellious and you have so departed from the right authority of your parents... Uh, you're going to leave a hard and brief life on the whole. And the simple illustration, of course, would just be the child who runs out on a busy road, not in subjection. This has happened, unfortunately. It's very sad. It's terrible. It makes me it makes us all cringe. But, you know, there are children, because that the, the catechism of the world says that you shouldn't ever have to do what anyone else tells you to do, there are children who are so little in obedience to their parents that if they're told to stop or if they're told to come back, they will do the opposite. There have been children who have run out in traffic and 
and been killed because of it. Now, friends, that's the basic level of what we're talking about, that your days may be long in the land, okay? Your days will be short and terrible if you disobey. Your days will be long and they'll be blessed in the land if you're obedient to your, obedient to your parents. There is a blessing. And it may be well with you, as it says in, in Deuteronomy. It's, it's not a message we want to hear in the antinomian age in which we live, but there is a blessing to obedience. Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and their children forever. That's the heart of the Lord. The heart of the Lord is not some sort of authoritarian dictator saying, I want everyone to obey and recognizing that it's going to grind them into powder and destroy them. It's the opposite. He knows what's going to happen in our disobedience. And he says, no, I want you to be blessed. I want things to go well with you. And he says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my, all my commandments that it might be well with them. That happens in this world. There is blessing. You will live a better life if you're in obedience to these things in this world. Those who are continually pushing against those in authority, eventually it catches up with them. Eventually it's... They, they're not going to be honored and blessed themselves in this world. But it goes beyond that. As I mentioned, it reaches into the spiritual realm because, of course, the promised land, your days may be long in the land. Yes, you'll, you'll be long and blessed in this world, but the promised land is always the great type for the eternal promised land. It's always pointing beyond itself to the new heavens and to the new earth. And again... If you are willing to receive from your parents their word to clean up, you are probably going to, will, you're going to receive the word, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That heart of submission, that heart of reception, that teachableness, that soft heart that loves and wants to receive the words of your parents, that will work for you as well. And so the key of eternal life is actually bound up in this promise in the fifth commandment. Now, ordinarily, we understand that there is a well, we understand that the, the sin that is in man that we tend to rebel. And I just want for us, as we consider this larger picture of the blessedness, to understand that the essence of the gospel is a submission to authority. Okay? Now, we have not kept God's law. Our heart of rebellion has made that certain. Of course, we we came born with original sin. We already came with that participation in Adam's sin. But beyond that, our heart of rebellion against God and his word have made it certain that we cannot save ourselves. We are sinners. And now God, as it were, gives us a second chance, a wonderful second chance. And he says, I have given you my son. I have sacrificed him on the altar. And he is dead for you. He is bled and is dead and risen again. And all you have to do is to believe on him, and you'll be saved. Now, I used to think when somebody rejected that gospel, it was because they were not intellectually convinced enough about it. 
and what I needed to do was go study up in apologetics and make a better argument until they believed. But now I think the truth is much closer to this, that their wicked, rebellious hearts will have none of it. That they will, not re- they will not submit, they did not submit to the law of God to obey it, and they do not now submit to the gospel to receive it. And the idea of receiving from their God a way of salvation that is not their own, in, rec- in, in, in fact confessing that there are sinners and in great need as beggars coming to the Lord, having nothing in their own hands to contribute, is offensive to their pride. So, friends, the submissive heart, the submissive heart that is in sub- subjection rightly to their parents and to those who are in authority over them is the same heart that receives the gospel. Have you ever been in a dead church? Have you ever spent time in a, a liberal, dead church? I don't know if you, any of you have. How many of those people are in subjection and in, in, in living in accordance with the, the, the right authority structure that God has given? How many children are there in, in, in obedience to their parents? And how many wives in obedience to their, their husbands? And how many of them are right, in right obedience to their elders? Of course, it's not there. Now, I'm not going to say there's a one-to-one correlation. I'm just saying what, when God says that there's a blessing attached to it, he's not speaking in vain. The things go together. Well, these are, it's, it's a simple sermon. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. And the principle is that you obey all authority, rightful authority, that your days may be long. And let's now apply these things. And, and here's the way that the larger catechism does so. It divides things up into inferiors, superiors, and equals. Okay? And it says the general scope of the fifth commandment is that uh, the performance of those duties which we owe in our several relations as inferiors, superiors, or equals. Because the fifth commandment governs all of these relationships on both sides of the coin. We've been speaking mainly in terms of we as inferiors, but it also governs our situation as those who are in authority over others and those actually as equals. Right? So first of all, inferiors. What's that honor that we owe them? All do reverence in heart, word, and behavior. Remember, it begins with the heart, and that's truly the thing, right? There is a, a sort of perfunctory obedience that has nothing to do with a heart obedience. And let's not imagine that the Lord is pleased with that. Our obedience, our submission must begin truly with the heart. Do reverence in heart, word, and behavior. Prayer and thanksgiving for them. Shall we say that again? Prayer and thanksgiving for them. Again, let me commend you in that. I know that you often pray for your elders and how thankful we are, but we don't stop. We pray for them. We pray for and, and those uh, certain children in particular. Let me commend, you, commend that for you. Children, I think the very best thing you could do is to pray for your parents. Yes, you pray for yourself. You pray that you do well in this exam and the other. You pray that you'll be kept safe and all the rest of these things. But pray for your parents. Because in their blessing, in their being upheld, in their being kept in the word of God and growing in that is your own blessing. You should pray for them. Imitation of their virtues and graces. Willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels. That goes without saying, really, obedience to them. Do submission to their corrections. Now, Hebrews twelve eleven says this. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. 
And you can see, I mention it sometimes when you're given a command that you don't want to follow, that you see whether you're in submission or not. And likewise, it is when you're corrected that you see the heart involved. It's amazing to me to see those who may give a show of being all wonderfully submissive, but when the moment comes, the rare, rare moment for some kind of correction, all of a sudden the rebellion comes welling up and there's incredible defensiveness. Now, I don't say it as if I haven't done that myself. I, I know that reality as well. But friends, let us understand that one who is in real submission to those in authority whom God has placed over them will receive that kind of correction because they expect it and they need it and they want it. That's the purpose that God has put them in authority over in order that they might be rightly guided. Fidelity to defense and maintenance of their persons and authority according to their several ranks and nature of their places being faithful, defending, maintaining, being in even financial provision, bearing with their infirmities. Uh, let me just say that, bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love. Okay? We could say that. Friends, submission to those in authority means bearing with their infirmities. If we only obeyed those who were perfect, no one would ever be obeyed. In fact, God himself we understand, is routinely disobeyed. So we know that that's not the issue. But inasmuch as you have detected some infirmity in your boss, in your husband, in your father, you should cover that infirmity. You should bear with it and cover it in love so that they may be an honor to them and to their government. Well, that's our duties to inferiors. Secondly, we consider superiors. What is required of superiors toward their inferiors? It is required of superiors according to that power they receive from God and that relation wherein they stand. And so here we're speaking to any of those who are in, in civil uh, government, uh, any of those who are bosses, any of those who are elders, any of those who are husbands, any of those who are fathers, to love, pray for, and bless their inferiors. To love, pray for, and bless their inferiors. Look at Job 1.5. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, that he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. He is continually interceding on, uh, for their, their, his children, even though he doesn't even know of any particular sin. Boy, how that puts us in our place. Sometimes... It's only when our children fall into some specific and dreadful sin that it really drives us to our knees to intercede for them. But no, Job did this regularly on the off chance that maybe one of them sinned in their hearts. To instruct, counsel, and admonish them. That's not a, that's not a privilege. That is a duty. That's something you have to do. Okay? If God has put you in authority, it is your job to do that. Again, if you're in, as an inferior, if you're in submission in various ways on that side of the authority, you should expect this to be coming. It's only part of the, the situation. And if you're on the other side of that, it's not that you get to say no to that. It's not that you, you can just duck that responsibility. You might not want to, and maybe that's a good thing. But you should get over that disinclination and in love and grace and mercy and kindness correct those 
whom God has put you in authority over, particularly your children. Instruct, counsel, and admonish them. What do we say about those who withhold the rod of correction? Do we say, well, actually, they're more loving. It's only the hateful parents that correct their children. No. No, no, no. We say that if you withhold the rod, you hate your child. Because you are the means by which God is going to preserve them. The means by which God is going to help them and bless them. And you ought to be willing to do that even if you don't want to. Because you're submitting to the God who puts you in authority. Well, there is a long, long list here. But I think I would just mainly um, uh, uh, remind you of instructing, counseling, and admonishing them. And I would also just say... Of countenancing, commending, and rewarding such as do well. Uh, however, we get to the point of rightly instructing and correcting, we also must be equally diligent, seeking out ways to find our children, to find those underneath our authority, to be doing, catch them in doing well, and to commend them for it. That's our honor, that's our blessing. God Himself is going to do that. When He returns on the throne of glory, He is very much going to commend His servants for doing well. Finally, equals, because that doesn't get much time and we don't think of it much, and maybe it's not even something that we consider at all to be under this commandment, but it is. What are the duties of equals? The duties of equals are to regard the dignity and worth of each other in giving honor to go one before another and rejoice in each other's gifts and advancement as their own. You read those words and you say, wow, that almost seems like they're modern things, to regard the dignity and worth of each other. But, beloved, it's anything that has a shred of truth ultimately has that shred from the Word of God. And as the society, a Christian society, has learned about human dignity, has learned it from the Bible, all right? And the way that we treat one another as equals is certainly to regard the dignity and worth of one another. And in particular, let me say this, to rejoice in each other's gifts and advancement. That's really hard. Okay, the closer someone is to your position, it's easy if someone's way far away. Let's imagine they're 40 years younger or 40 years older, and they're, maybe they have, they're in a completely different profession than you are, in a different situation. It's easy to be not uncomfortable, but to praise God for all their giftings and for all their honors and achievements and position and all the rest of it. But the closer they come to your situation, the harder it becomes. And the more likely, then, that what rises in your heart when they are honored is to think, actually, I deserve that more than them. My friends, the same God who puts one above another in authority also puts one above another in, in honor. And we recognize, of course, that sometimes it can be done unjustly. Uh, and we don't deny that. But at the end of the day, when matters are settled, it is, it is right for us to also give thanks to God uh, for the the uh, blessing and gifts and achievements and advancement of others are equals. Well, can I just say that all these things are very hard. I think uh, we are, as, as children in our day, in our culture, in this whole area of submission to rightful authority, we don't know how to do it. Hollywood certainly doesn't teach us. The, the state doesn't teach us. We have to learn from the Word of God and how I pray that it would be our great study and our delight and desire that we, as, as individually, as families, as a whole church, would seek to exemplify, indeed to be an example to others around us of what this looks like. Let's pray. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we recognize your goodness in all the things that you've given to us. We recognize your goodness in providing those in authority over us. The obvious example and the basic example of parents being in authority over their children, that they might protect them, that they might love them, that we might help them and in every way correct and admonish and commend them as they ought to be in order that they would grow up to glorify the living God. And we know that each and every time that a child honors and obeys their father, so they honor and obey their God. Now, Lord, how we pray that also, as extended into all the rightful areas of authority, however countercultural it might be, perhaps, Lord, we give you all the more glory, we bring you even more glory in this time in which these things are almost unknown as we seek to obey everything that is involved in this commandment. We pray it would be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.